Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's a feminist podcast. Hello and welcome to Feminism Ruins Everything. We are the feminist podcast where we give critiques to movies, musicals and pop culture phenomena and potentially ruin them. Potentially. Who knows what's going to happen this week? Today we'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land. We are recording on the Adelaide Plains area, which uh, is the traditional home of the Ghana people. Sure is. And we just wanted to acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded and pay our respects to all elders past, present and emerging. Absolutely. Ellis, today I approach this episode with hesitation uh, <laughs> because we're about to tackle a beloved, it's a movie and a musical and a pop culture phenomenon. Yeah. Phenomenon. It was Because it's bigger than itself. Huge. Huge film. And we're kind of going to shit on it. Bit of a, <laughs> bit of a disclaimer. Bit of a, bit a, of spoiler. a spoiler alert. Uh, this movie does not hold up by a feminist yardstick, nor most other yardsticks uh, with anything to do with social equality or justice in any regard. <laughs> you came into odds with this piece uh, during your Fringe <laughs> show, didn't you? I did. So, fun story, everyone. Uh, when I did my Fringe show earlier in this year, uh, I was in a tent uh, in uh, the lovely Gluttony Hub uh in the East Adelaide area. And um, because I was in a tent, uh, you won't be surprised to learn, walls, not very thick. Sound bleed is a thing. Sound bleed is absolutely a thing. And there was, uh, in a, a tent nearby, a... Um, someone on a sound desk that just got a little bit happy with the volume knob. And basically, um, there was this show on called... I'm not going to name it. But basically... <laughs> They, they sang show tunes, pretty much. And um, their show started 45 minutes after mine. So mine started at 6, and their show started at 6.45. And so, and like 45 minutes into my show is right about where it's hitting its, like, emotional climax. Yeah. And, like, without fail, like, almost always at the, like, most emotive part of my show, I would just hear their show start, which opened with... <laughs> and I was like, yep good that was uh didn't ruin the mood at all no it didn't ruin the mood people were you know engaged so you could block it out you've got to block it out in a tent that's sort of comes through the territory you just got to go with it and and i mean like props to them what way to start a great show than with the greatest show Mm -hmm. the opening song from the greatest showman yes we haven't actually said yet no i was i was building up to that i was like that was the reveal even though they've already clicked on the episode yeah like you know what you're listening to you've got a title you know what you're getting in for and they're like oh i wonder i wonder what they're gonna think of this oh it's it's not good okay so even though from a feminist perspective we have some qualms people obviously really love this movie Let's talk about its merits first and like why why people love it, why it's blown up so much. Would you like to start? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I would. Um. Yes, I would. Um, 
you might recall if you've listened to our rent episode, there was a part where Ellis was like, "Yeah, so this is the episode where um, where our listeners are going to hate me," and I think this <laughs> this one's just going to put the nail in the coffin. Yeah, Alice, oh, I, I don't think there's any coming back yeah. from this. It's <laughs> um, yes. So <laughs> I think personally mm-hmm. that at least the soundtrack has a lot of really broad appeal um, because when you listen to it. You you feel like you're listening to a like a modern pop album like yeah. that's that's the style in which this show is written, mm-hmm. and they've made a stylistic choice, and it's really like been really mainstream successful because it appeals to a mainstream audience. And you know some of the songs, I will not lie to you, I think are absolute bops. Like when I first left the cinema after seeing this, I was like, what if we rewrite the stuff? Like, that's a hook. That is a hook and a half. <laughs> that octave jump is really sick. And obviously something like This Is Me, for example, is the song that has, like, blown up way further than That's resonated with a else. lot of people. Yeah. Re- really, really popular. And, like, wonderfully sung by, by Kiala Settle. Absolutely. What a queen. She did. I, I, think, I think there are a couple of very... I think there are lots of good performers in this film. I think uh, Zendaya is a wonderful performer and mm. really gets to shine in this film. Uh, Zac Efron is always charming. Hugh yeah. Jackman is always charming. Hugh Jackman is just probably one of the most universally adored people yeah. that I can think of. He's just he's just one of those guys. So like there there are some very talented people. A lot of the choreography is really cool. Yeah, it's like quite a it's quite a spectacle. Mm. Yeah. I, or particularly uh the other side that dance number in the bar with mm. like things sliding on all of the tables, I thought was a really yeah. inventive use of choreography. And Side scene. note: there is no way that they took that many shots and were still able to do that choreography. I was like <laughs> looking at that, being like, "You would be so That's drunk right now." A lot of booze. Uh, so not realistic. <laughs> um, um, whereas everything else. Completely, completely realistic. realistic. That was sarcasm. Uh, I also want to highlight the one line of dialogue that I liked, which was <laughs> which was the line, "I trust your reputation more than I trust my taste." I think that's a nice, like, characterful mm. thing for for PT Barnum to yeah. have said. And there are some like beautiful cinematic moments, like the the dance on the rooftop with the. Um, with the bed sheets. With the bed sheets blowing in the wind. Yeah, it's really lovely. Some really nice concepts. Yeah. And I think it's like it's colourful and it's bright and it's flashy and it it's quite feel good. I think that's probably why a lot of people have latched onto it. Yes. That being said, some people watch this and don't feel good. Mm-hmm. I was one of those people. Um, <laughs> I I watched this movie uh at about two o'clock in the morning, uh, <laughs> in preparation for this episode, because I realised that I'd forgotten to watch okay. it, yeah. and and now I kind of wish I had just forgotten to watch it and just made up <laughs> this, because then I would have would have gotten that hour and forty four minutes back, and I wouldn't have been filled with so much rage <laughs> about this film. Okay. Ellis has some negative <laughs> sentiments, and we're going to break those down in a constructive yes, way. Yes, so that it's not just you shitting on this Exa- for an exactly, hour. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I mean, I've got my fair share of criticisms as well, um, and I think, uh, but also, I, I do want to say from the outset, I know that this film is adored by a lot of people. I know that this soundtrack is adored by a lot of people, and mm. that a lot of people have like drawn meaning from it, especially from the songs, and a lot of people have. Um, 
like really resonated with the music and if you have a powerful connection to something that is meaningful to you in your own life then no one can take that away from you. Yeah, nothing we say can change that or should yeah. change it. I'm really happy that people like this movie and get something out of it. Reasonable joy. Uh, I, but you, be prepared, my opinions are not going to be positive. <laughs> uh. Nor are mine. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, we are a feminist podcast. We are. Let's do a, a feminist, feminist critique of The Greatest Sherman. Mm-hmm. Um, Mim? Yes, Ellis. How's the representation of women? And let's point out, I think this is the first time we've had to ask that question. <laughs> like, women, question mark. Where are they? Are they in the film? Can we spot them? Yeah, there are four. There... Oh, actually, that there are more women in the circus troupe. We, we've but, identified but they don't have like, names. Yeah, we've identified like four... Uh, main character yeah. uh, main characters who identify as female. Yeah, and there are the two daughters as well. There are the two daughters. Yeah. Uh, but again, they're, they're kind of, like, they they are children. Like, in, in a lot of biopics, there are lots of children running around who don't really have a personality of their own. So we're not including like the daughters. Ballet. They like ballet. And one of them likes dolls and wants to marry Santa Claus. Yeah, that was a line from the movie. I did not pick up on that. Yeah. <laughs> Hence my shocked silence. <laughs> Um, uh, all right, so we've got we've got the four key women in the movie. We've got Charity Barnum, who is P.T. Barnum's wife, played by Michelle Williams. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the Jenny, character of Jenny Lind, who is played by Elsa Rebecca Mayer, Ferguson. Rebecca Ferguson. Um, we've got Zendaya, who plays Anne Wheeler. Is that her name? Yes, nailed it. She is the trapeze artist. She is. And we've got uh, Keala Seto. Who, when I was looking this up on IMDb, had a name. I think it's Letty Lutz, something like that. Yep. I don't think it's said once in the film. I was no. listening for it. I was uh, like, do you have a name, bearded lady? No, do she's you? just the bearded lady with the great voice. We see um, we see Queen Victoria at one point. Yep. Uh, it's Queen Victoria, right? It's Queen Victoria, yeah. So, so, like, you know, there are women in this film. Uh, and we thought we'd just do a quick rundown of all of their personality traits. Ellis has made some spark notes. Uh, so we have Charity Barnum, mm-hmm. and her personality is that she loves P.T. Barnum. Yes. And then we have uh, Jenny uh, Jenny Lind, mm-hmm. and her personality is that she loves P.T. Barnum, and she sings good. Yeah, and like I think she's got a, like at li- least a little bit of spunk. She's got a li- like a little yeah. bit. Like she's I got don't a know. little bit of pushback when you, he approaches her to start, which has got a bit of sass. Like you learn that she she kind of, you know she was born out of wedlock and she's kind of suffered from that. But even then, yeah. that's like glossed over to to just how much she yeah. just wants to. She, she also has the yeah. audacity to kiss a married man on a public <gasps> stage. How dare! And like to get really offended when he decides not to cheat on his wife in like yeah. the one act of like goodness that P.T. Barnum does in this movie. I'm digressing. Anyway, we have the bearded lady. Yes. Her personality is that she has a beard. And she's sometimes sad about that. And she sings good. Yep. And that's about it. Yeah. And then we have uh, Anne and... Wheeler. And Wheeler, the, the trapeze artist played by Zendaya. Oh, um, and she's she might be racially oppressed. 
question mark? And is sometimes sad about it. Yeah. But mean, she loves Zac Efron. And I, she sings good. I think to cut through your facetiousness for a hot <laughs> second there, like, yes, absolutely, a black woman in this time period, 100% would have been racially oppressed. Let's yes. just make that very clear. That we're not like, would she have been? No. No, it's just she how would the have film been. portrays her. We will discuss the racial politics of this film later. Ooh, but yeah. it's just, it's, it's, as you can see, all of these characters, the four main female characters of the piece, have such a sparse personality. And this yeah. is compared to uh, to P.T. Barnum, who, uh, Hugh Jackman's character, and he, uh, you know, we, we learn a lot about him, yeah. his motivations, what he, yeah. uh, like how he goes about things. Like he's ambitious, he's a risk taker, he's a dreamer. He He's a con man yeah. and he's willing to manipulate people to get what he wants. Yeah. He says he has a really strong bond to his family and I think he thinks that he does. Yeah. Uh, we know that he's loyal to his wife. Like yeah. we know a lot about him and we also know a lot about... We also know that no amount of success is ever enough for him. Exa- and never, that- ever. Never, never. never. Uh, we, point being, we know a lot about him. We also learn a lot about um, Zac Efron's character. You know, we, we learn that he comes from the upper classes, that he thinks that the, the, the way that minorities are treated uh, is very appalling. We know that he's quite generous and, and somewhat mm-hmm. caring and business-minded. And, you know, we learn a lot about him and how he goes about things. Mm. Contrast that with any of the female characters. You, we know nothing about them. They are almost they are they are props mm. in the film mm-hmm. to to kind of emphasize the story of these two white men. Yeah, and I mean, I think that the criticism of the the female characters is the same criticism that I have um, from all of the people who are in the circus troupe. Yeah, like the fact that. Um, all of these people who have been employed as performers, um, you know, are, are outcasts and are people that um, are, are, are very different and either mm-hmm. look different or act differently. Um, and we know nothing about them. Yeah. We get literally zero backstory. And those would have been the interesting people. <laughs> like, <laughs> those are like, oh, I wonder what their story is. How did they get in this yes. position? What do they want from life? Yes, I would really like to know that. Oh. The, um, the movie is just so uninterested in exploring any of these people's lives. Other than P.T. Barnum's. Yeah. I think that's a segue. Because I think, sure, the representation of women in this film is not amazing. Um, there is, granted, there is the moment at the end of the film where... Um, Charity... Charity, like, stands up to him, stands up to P.T. Barnum and goes... You know, we've taken risks before, but you did this like without consulting me, and now mm-hmm. it's backfired. And like, you should have told me about it. Like, I think she says, "We, I didn't mind taking risks, but we made the choices together, or something to that effect." Yeah, I never minded the risk, but we always did it together. Yeah. Um, which, when you look at the earlier parts of the movie, where he's like, "Look, I bought a museum," and she's like, "Oh, really?" I sort of, <laughs> <laughs> I question that, mm-hmm. um, but. Yeah, the fact that she stands up for herself in that moment is um, lovely. Um, but then he sings a song, and then everything's fine again. She's like, it's it's cool. And I'm like, mm. has he changed that much in a stanza? Really? Yeah. Like, um, it... <sighs> but so I think the, the representation of women, strong as it may not be, is not my main issue with this film. No. Also, also by the way, that's the end of our feminist discourse. That's it. <laughs> That's that's all we can talk about in this film about 
feminism in the representation because there is so little there. Yeah. That, that's it. Yeah. Oh, there is a consent issue with the... With the kiss. Oh yeah, there is. There's there's a couple of there's a couple of dubious consent Mm. moments. Like Zac Efron tricks Zendaya into going on a date to the theater with him. Yeah. Um, and and that's a bit uh, iffy. And but even even so, I'm just like, that's the end of our feminist discussion. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Still got a whole lot to talk about (laughs) though, because we are an intersectional feminist podcast. Buckle in. Got some things to say about the portrayal of other minorities mm-hmm. in this film. So, yeah, I don't think that it's a huge blight by feminist standards. Like, it's not it's not great, but, like, if that was where the poor representation ended, I'd be like, all right, it's just... It's a Hollywood movie, you move Yeah, exactly. But... However. However. I, what I really take issue with is the representation of the vulnerable people that make up the circus troupe. Um, be they like disabled in some way or um, have some quirky physical characteristic about them that makes them mm-hmm. an oddity in inverted commas. And I think my main issue <laughs> is the fact that all throughout the dialogue, all throughout the storyline, they are it's it's alluded to how much he is exploiting them mm-hmm. and that's not addressed <laughs> and that's not critiqued <laughs> he's, he's kind of rewarded for it at the end when his um his uh, arch nemesis the theater critic comes up uh he he says that barnum was presenting uh his performers as equals another critic oh. might have called it a celebration of humanity oh that critic was not me <laughs> <laughs> but when but when um but when Barnum is repeatedly shown to to have manipulated them, shunned them, mistreated them, uh, he he isn't doing any of the things no. that the critic is praising him and his show for doing. In fact, the big individuality anthem, yeah. This Is Me, comes about because Barnum shunned yeah. the performers. Exactly. It, the biggest moment in the film mm-hmm. happens in spite, in spite of, of the main character. Yeah. And also, it's not a celebration of humanity if the people that are allegedly celebrating it are being exploited in the process. Mm-hmm. Hot take. Hot take. Hot take. Here are some choice phrases that I picked out where I'm like, don't love how you're engaging these vulnerable people. So, because um, I think that on one hand, I don't think that P.T. Barnum, the, the real character, the not character, the real person, was a good guy. Like, no. I, I think that he was genuinely quite an exploitative, um, malicious person. Yeah. And, you know, A, they've really glossed over that by casting Hugh Jackman, <laughs> universally adored. Mm-hmm. And also, um, yeah, the fact that the storyline doesn't ever critique him. So here are a few moments where I'm like, oh, you could have... Like, this this is just indicative of that exploitation. So he appeals to Tom Thumb, who is the short-statured man, uh, to get him to be in his troop. And uh, he says something to the effect of, like, I don't want people to laugh at me. And, you know, if you were interpreting this in a way that it's like, actually, I'm going to um, bring you to the stage so that we can destigmatize people that, mm-hmm. um, that look differently. Um, we're going to, we're going to normalize this and, and celebrate differences. Uh, no, instead of that, he says, uh, well, they're laughing at you anyway, so you might as well get paid. 
Smooth, Barnum. Yep. Smooth. Um, and the thing is that, like, yes, that's probably indicative of who he was as a person, but then he's painted as the hero. Yeah, like, I, that, that is not... That or any of these examples aren't inherently bad on their own if they're utilised... Uh, to showcase his character growth, yeah. to have him learn something, yeah. and to come out the other end going, actually, I was a bad person, but now I'm going to do things to to better the lives of the people that I yeah. that I exploited, and I'm going to repent for that. But in the end, they're the like the the performers are the people who have to like convince him that he's okay mm. and that he did a good thing, and he's like wallowing in his in his misery, and all the performers come around and like, you gave us a home, man. We love you. And he's like, yeah. And we will come back home. And we will come back home. And they rip off. They just just do a once reject and and he gets on a train or something. Pasek and Paul collab with Mumford and Sons (laughs) is is what I get from uh, that song. Um, So I think also there are a few more choice phrases that I've picked. Uh, So when the Wheeler siblings, who are Anne, played by Zendaya, and her brother Brother. whose character name I don't remember Mm -hmm. um, come and they say to him they won't like it if you're putting us on stage um, because they're black siblings racial inequality yeah um, so they won't like it if you put us on stage and he goes I'm counting on it so it's like okay I'm gonna put you in a vulnerable position where the audience are gonna hate you because it's gonna make me controversial so it'll be profitable to me yeah yeah and same goes with, like, all of the the protesting and all of the controversy. Like, he's putting his performers um, in a very vulnerable situation mm-hmm. um, where, you know, there are people with freaking... Um, pitchforks. Pitchforks and, And like, torches. Yeah, with flaming torches outside the theatre. <laughs> and... Um, you know, he's like, yes, thriving off the controversy, whereas that could actually genuinely endanger them. But he doesn't mm-hmm. give a shit. He's like, this he, is, people are talking about my show. He can step away from the controversy and the danger at literally any time. Mm, and like pe- he does. He goes on tour. Yeah. He just leaves them there. Yeah. Um, and there's also, I think it's like really summarized in the first moment where all of the performers are being put in front of an audience for the first time and they all look terrified. Yeah. And he's like, no, go, go. They'll love you. Just get you. out there. Oh, and I don't love it. Yeah, it's, it's just, it feels very exploitative. And when the film kind of like goes out of its way to tell you how great a thing P.T. Barnum has done, when all of his actions in the film have been mm. contrary to that. Yeah. You get a real disconnect of what you're supposed to take away from it and what you're supposed to, like, have learned. Yeah, like, is he is he meant to be heroic for exploiting these vulnerable people for his own gain? Because like, that's the... That's, that's the message that's that comes across. That's the takeaway. Yeah. Oh. And there's also the bit where, um, like, they arrive at the Jenny Lind concert and he's like, oh, no, 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 don't put them in the box. They'll be visible. Mm. And then shuts them out of the fancy party. And again, this would be fine if he showed any sort of growth or development. Yes. But the movie is so uninterested in doing that, they just go, oh, you know, it's Hugh Jackman, people will love him. Yeah. And he's still portrayed as a hero. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, there's a, a vague moment of remorse. Not, not for how he's treated his performers, but for the fact that he had disconnected from his family. Yeah. That's where the remorse is. And and that his his theatre had burned down. Oh yeah. And so only when it inconveniences him is he yeah. remorseful. But all the displaced performers that he has 
he's been abusing this entire time. Yeah. Like, he doesn't care about them. Just cares about his show and his family. Yeah. Also, Burnt Down Theatre, I've got one word for you, P.T. Barnum. Insurance. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's my hot take. Um, <laughs> not or, not a savvy business move there. No, I don't think he, he's not painted as a savvy businessman. I th- no, I think I think he's supposed no. to. His acumen and the way he like stirs up controversy and stuff. Mm. It's framed as if it's like, oh, he's being really clever and he's yeah. he's subverting the system. Then he's like conning banks out of money. Which mm. I mean, if you can con a bank out of money, I kind of support that. Yeah, but also congratulations, that's fraud. Yeah. Um, but also, there's the moment where Zac Efron, Carlisle, is that the I name? Think his character that's his name. name. Um, there's the moment where Zac Efron goes, um, "Oh, I knew who I was working with, so I took my cut weekly." Being like, <laughs> "I knew that you were a dodgy bugger." Yeah. But also, doesn't that completely eliminate all the stakes of that moment? Like, the solution to "Oh no, we don't have any money" is actually we have money. <laughs> Problem solution. Exactly. Like that. That's the equivalent of going. Oh no, we need a million dollars ransom money. Oh, it's under the couch. Yeah. Like that. That's <laughs> the stakes are lowered immediately. Very low. Yeah. Um, something else that really bothers me is the fact that he starts off as this poor kid who has obviously suffered at the hands of classism. Yeah. Like from the people who eventually become his in-laws and like um, the fact that his father dies and he has to fend for himself and he's this really vulnerable, poor, hungry kid on the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously like very lower class and then works his way up. Yeah. And then when he works his way up, he then does the same to the little people. He does mm-hmm. the same thing. He treats them the same way that he was treated when he was in a vulnerable position. Like he shits on the little yeah. people. It's, it's, capitalism at work Mm. you know thinking that i need to get more and more excess wealth otherwise i'll never be happy but of course you'll never be happy because you'll never have enough Mm. you'll never 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 enough you made a really good point before we started um recording ellis that he um grows up like becomes successful to spite his father-in-law but in the process becomes him yeah it's so consuming Mm. and and like but again like the film probably could have said something interesting about this dynamic between the rich and the lower classes uh but is so uninterested in it because it wants to squeeze in another big dance number (laughs) and also from a class perspective there's this like fascination with Jenny Lind and the fact that he says something to the effect of like, oh, this isn't just another sideshow novelty mm. were his exact words. And it's like, oh, now I'm dealing with the big shots. Like you go and you, you go and take the, the freaks and I'll deal with my like classy talent now. Yeah. Like the, the incredible opera singer who belts a pop song. Like we don't need to be critical of that because enough people have been critical <laughs> of that. Uh, but I just remember sitting in the theater the first time I watched this, and I was like, "What? You're not for a singer, Jenny Lind? Why are you belting ease? Why?" And yeah. actually, that that leads into one of my biggest criticisms of the film as a whole, and that's about its stylistic choices. Uh, mm. Now, if you're a regular listener, you'll know that uh, in the past couple of weeks we've discussed Hamilton and Six, mm. which are two uh, musicals which 
retell a historical yep. uh, story, uh, but recontextualizes it and restyles it in a very modern way. Like yeah. Hamilton is a hip hop rap musical. Yeah. Six is hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. A pop concert. Yeah. And The Greatest Showman, its music is very um, pop. It's very, yes. very, uh, you know, the sty- the pop stylings of the the day that it was written yeah and that style and all of the 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 dance numbers are very modern in their style in their choreography tell tell our listeners what you referred to the choreographers uh it's tiktok choreography like they're they're all doing all these tiktok moves and being like oh yeah we are cool in the circus and like that in of its own is fine yeah. But the rest of the movie is trying to paint itself as a period, period piece. piece. It's going for, like, this is the style of the day. This is how people talked in the day. We're riding in carriages. And it doesn't do anything to give the random pop numbers that, like, spear tackle you out of nowhere any context. Mm. So that you have this constant disconnect of shifting from one style in the dialogue scenes to another style in the musical numbers. And, again, that isn't inherently bad to have a separation between your scenes and your musical numbers. Uh, Mim, you were mentioning, like, the musical Spring Awakening does it very deliberately. Yeah, so in Spring Awakening what happens is all the dialogue is very... um, like of its time and it's mm. like often Spring Awakening is, is staged as a period piece like everyone's in period costume and the dialogue reflects that and then when you get to the musical numbers there's this huge shift like the um, the lighting often changes um, like sometimes like in the Broadway production actors like grabbed microphones to like then make it a rock concert um, but the reason for that was that in the scenes it was trying to show the oppressive society that they lived in and mm-hmm. then the songs were meant to be an expression of the inner ter- turmoil that the teenagers were experiencing. I mean, that's my interpretation of it. Yeah. Anyway, but like, it's a stylistic choice. It's very deliberate and has something to say. Yes. Uh, like, the, there's, there's a distinct separation between like diegetic and non-diegetic mm. musical numbers. And yeah. there isn't that separation in... Uh, in The Greatest Showman, and so you are constantly going back and forth between the two, and none of it makes sense, none of it flows. All the choreography is like, the choreography is really good, there are a lot of talented dancers in there, makes no sense appearing in that time, in that place, at all. It's so, so jarring. Mm. But I also do think that, you know, maybe your average 
viewer doesn't really mind that or doesn't look out for that kind of thing and then the the music and the Corey really appeals because it's what appeals to a modern audience. Yeah, maybe. You know? I I just think that like pick a style and go with it. Like you you look at something like Moulin Rouge takes modern day songs and recontextualizes them in the world that it creates. Mm. And the greatest showman like to me it feels lazy. It, it it feels genuinely lazy that they're just like, oh, we don't need to make it flow because it'll be a catchy pop song and nobody will care. Mm. Well, I care. <laughs> I cared. Let's talk about the way that racial inequality is portrayed in this film. Oof, okay. Uh. So my biggest issue with the portrayal of... Um, racial oppression in this film is that it is 99% of it, actually no, 100% of it is through the relationship between Zendaya and Zac Efron. Uh, well, they're characters. <laughs> the characters have names, but they're just yeah. Zendaya and Also, Zac Efron. flows off the tongue because they both start with Z. Yeah. Um, the biggest inequality that is demonstrated is that as an interracial couple, society won't allow them to be together. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's really interesting that the one example of racial oppression that is given is the one that inconveniences the white man. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's so hard for him. Yeah, because he can't be with the woman who he loves because he's she's black. And like th- there are a number of um of the performers are people of color mm-hmm. um i mean kiala settle mm-hmm. uh for example uh, and an, an, a number of them and at no point is their race brought up they're always kind of looked down upon in terms of being um being these oddities in in quotation marks as part of the carnival but it's never uh they're never racially oppressed it's only Zendaya mm. who seems to be singled out and the only one that seems to be concerned about that uh, and a couple of times it's like brought up offhandedly but the one time that it is directly confronted mm. is when uh, the two Z's are going on a date to the theatre where he's tricked her into being there dubious consent mm-hmm. and as they're walking into the theatre Zac Efron bumps into his parents mm-hmm. who say something along the lines of it's bad enough that you're running around with these circus freaks, but to be seen with the help, and that causes Zendaya to to run out and to him for him to like call them out. It's like, how dare you speak to her that yeah. way? And then they go and sing "Rewrite the Stars." And then they go sing "Rewrite yeah. the Stars." But the the issue with that and the way that they phrased it is, um, you're you're being seen with the help that doesn't read to me as like purely like a race issue that reads as a class issue Mm. which kind of like the film seems to be like tiptoeing up to the idea of like there is racial oppression Mm -hmm. and we have a a a biracial relationship and we're going to address that and then at the moment where they are confronted with it they kind of like deflect it and go oh it's because she's poor or lower class yeah and and that completely defeats any sort of semblance of message that it was trying to make. Mm. And then, don't get me wrong, I love Rewrite the Stars. I think it's a bop, but 
the way that it's framed and granted it's a it's a pop song so they frame it in a really poetic way but the idea of rewriting the stars makes it sound like oh it's because of fate that we can't be together not it's because of racial inequality <laughs> which is systemic yeah. oppression what if we rewrite the history of slavery in this country <laughs> say you were meant to be mine but not racial in an i owned you way keeps us apart because our society is still built on systemic racism. <laughs> it's not up to you. I've, I've taken this bit too far. Yeah. <laughs> no way to stop me. I'm read the room. My, uh, my opinion on Rewrite the Stars is that rope work and aerial work is always really impressive. And well done Zendaya for, for apparently she learned all of those oh, tricks and, and performed them herself. Really, really impressive. And that just masks the fact that the song isn't good. The song is good, Ellis. No, it's, no, 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 no. It's a The choreography is good, no, the song and it is tricks good. you into thinking that the song's good. I like the song. <laughs> Look, I, but, I, I, but also, hmm. I like Pasek and Paul on the whole. <laughs> I don't want to out you as a Pasek and Paul hater, Ellis, but I just did. We're going to put a pin in that. Like, once again, the racial politics of this film, it kind of, like the film like raises it and kind of like goes, Ooh, we are, we are pointing out that this is a potential issue. Mm. Keep an eye on this. And then when it's given the chance to do something about it, it seems completely uninterested. Like after that point, there is no struggle whatsoever for Zendaya and Zac Efron to be together. They just are and they're happy and it's, it's fine. Like the film, their biggest struggle is the fact that he almost dies in the fire. Yeah. Which, again, was just... Uh, no, okay, no. Let's move on before I start ranting. <laughs> I think this kind of... The fact that it sort of almost broaches issues and then does nothing about them, I think is indicative of the fact that this film is trying to please everyone. Yeah, it's a people pleaser. Yeah. It's for the masses. Yes. The, everything about it, like the, 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 the performers chosen yeah. and the style of the music and the way it's like yeah. shot, it's supposed and to the be, way let's have a fun time. It's not too political. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, I, I think that that's probably just, you know, for, for mainstream appeal. Mm-hmm. And I think that's to its detriment. Yeah. The fact that they've gone, oh, we can't make too much of a comment on the oppression of vulnerable minorities. We can't make too much of a comment on um, on like race, racial inequality because then we'd be seen as being too political, and that would you know um, that would stop us from getting like the conservative viewers. Mm. Yeah. So I I think that's shit. It's it's really shit. It's like and and it. it it kind of like raises the issues, like we've said, yeah. and then and then immediately shies away from saying anything meaningful about them. Like yeah. the the film says so little about all of these things that it might as well have just said nothing. Yeah, and I think that when you decide to take a completely neutral, apolitical stance, where you're like, I'm not going to touch this um, issue of inequality or this issue mm-hmm. of injustice. You are upholding the status quo, and you are therefore um, favoring the side of the oppressor. Yeah, particularly that systemic racism that's keeping Zendaya and Zac Efron from being together. Yeah, don't you hate it when systemic racism is unfair to white people? You never got to see that play. Oh, no. It's just... <sighs> I really, really need to stress again how sarcastic this is. 
Oh, white people need to work to dismantle white supremacy. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Uh, What if we dismantle white supremacy? That would be good. Let's do that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, before, Before we unpin things, does this film pass the Bechdel test? Uh, I'm going to say no, because, you know, there are so few women characters in this film and then that even have personality traits. um, And then I don't think any of them talk to one another. Mm. Um, The potential exception is uh, Charity Barnum and her two daughters, but we're a little bit hazy on whether or not like children are included in the Bechdel test. I would, I would um, imagine they would. I think it's more just like whether or not they were ever talking together about something, something other, other than, than their father. dad, which seems unlikely. Like the whole story revolves around uh, P.T. Barnum, uh, except for the, the romance subplot between Zendaya and Zac Efron. Yeah. So that, it, you know, he's kind of like in every scene uh, and... Mm. Yeah, it kind of dominates the discourse. Yeah. So there, there isn't a chance for any of your nondescript, non-fleshed-out stereotypes of female characters to have a conversation about anything meaningful. No. 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 Big old nope to the Bechdel test on Greatest Showman. Ellis, do we want to unpin what we pinned? <laughs> do you want to open this can of worms? I feel, I feel like I have to. You know, um... <laughs> It's important for us to utilize our platforms for things that we find important and that we care about. Yes. And I think it's really important to say that this movie fucking sucks. (laughs) I didn't know where you were going with that. (laughs) That is not what I expected. Uh, I thought you were going to be like, oh, I just, I really feel like I need to speak out on this other issue of inequality. That No. 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 Um, so, Ellis and I have different views on the soundtrack also, because I think there are some real bops in this show, in this movie. Uh, like, I fully expected to become a Broadway musical. Oh, surely at some point. Yeah. Like, I think yeah. it's probably already in the works. COVID might have um, stopped that from happening. Put a stop to that, yeah. Um, but I... My two cents were two cents worth on the soundtrack. I think "Rewrite the Stars" is an absolute bop, and I won't let you speak ill of it, Ellis. Actually, no, you can do that because you know I uphold <laughs> your opinion on this podcast that mm-hmm. we co-host. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that "This Is Me" is a great pop song. I don't think it says anything uh, specific, but you called it. What did you call it? So, um, so my my issue with I mean my issue with all the songs, but specifically "This Is Me" because it has been like claimed um it, it's achieved the the biggest fame it was nominated it won a golden globe was nominated for the oscar mm. and, and like it's beloved by a lot of people but why do you think um, it appeals to so many people ellis i think it resonates with people and you know it's totally fine if it does resonate yeah. with you if you find something out of this i think that is wonderful and if it, if it brings you joy then i'm so happy that it brings you joy but i think the reason that it resonates is because uh, the lyrics are so generic mm. and bland that you can take them and apply them to to almost any situation yeah. and you as the listener 
put in all the meaning and all the significance yeah. behind that because it says the, the song essentially says I have struggles yeah but I mean I'll get through it but I'm going to overcome them by being my own person yeah and everybody can relate to that yeah. so everybody goes oh my god this is totally about that thing that I am thinking yeah. about right now this is such a meaningful song it's it is the it's the daily horoscope <laughs> of songs it is like, it's a horoscope <laughs> song it will apply to anyone's life it is you just take whatever I is happening to you I am brave I am Bruce. This is who I'm meant to be. This is me. Uh, Oscar nominated lyrics. Look out world. Cause here I come and I'm marching on to the beat. I drum. I'm not scared to be seen. I am who I'm meant to be. I make no apologies. Ellis. Oh, I don't care. Nice. Min. I don't <laughs> care. They're so bad. Ellis is not good at lyrics. Um, um, well, no. Yeah. So I think that there are, I think that rewrite the stars is a bop. I mm-hmm. think that, um, this is me is a generic bop. Um, I think that Panic at the Disco's version of Greatest Show is a bop, uh, and I think the other songs are like there. Um, I don't think that Hugh Jackman, with all due respect, as somebody who is used to singing classical music theater like Oklahoma, um, should then apply his voice to pop music theater because mm. it just doesn't fit stylistically his voice does not fit in this genre he was very good as peter allen in the boy from oz and mm-hmm. his voice really kind of suited that style but yeah. that's because he had a similarish voice to the real peter yeah allen. very good as valjean in yeah. um in, in Les, Les Mis, Mis. because that's a more classical tone yeah whereas something that's so modern and poppy like him and his like really wide vibrato on that and yeah. not being able to get his larynx up high enough i'm like <laughs> Just doesn't doesn't Don't quite love this sit issue. right. So I I think that the soundtrack has its moments. I have some issues with it. I, I think that the tightrope song is a cringe. Oh, because it's a circus. <laughs> oh, I get it now. I think that. Um, I mean, I'm a former performing arts teacher, so I have heard a million dreams like <laughs> done to death. Like I was sitting in the theater being like all my students are going to want to sing this. And I was right. Um, But, like, I think the soundtrack has its moments that I enjoy. Ellis, a counter-argument. With respect to Pask and Paul, um, who I don't know them, I've never interacted with them, I'm sure they are perfectly fine people. I'm just talking about the the work that they put. So if I say Pask and Paul, I'm referring to their work that they have put out. Um, I think that they are the most boring Broadway composers working today. And even the stuff that I like of theirs, which is kind of few and far between, it's a couple of songs from Dear Evan Hansen. You like Waving Through a Window. Yes. I like Sincerely Me. I think I kind of respect So Big, So Small. Um, but, But even then, I think all of their stuff is really bland and generic. And what I get out of musical theater is the specificity Mm. and the emotiveness and uh, empathizing with the characters. And there is none of that. All of the songs, from my perspective, are deliberately written to be generic because they wanted to sell albums mm. and they wanted people to latch on to whatever hooks they, could, they yeah. could get in and therefore none of the songs meant anything. And it didn't matter what they were saying on the screen. I was just like, you're actually not talking. This could be any film and this song could be in that film. Like, like a million dreams. What are your dreams? You say you have a million dreams. Tell us some of them. They, they film, bright colors fill my head. My million dreams are keeping me awake. I think of what the world could be. Oh, and what's that? 
a vision of the one I see. No, but what, what's the vision that you see? A million dreams is all it's going to take. See, there's nothing to it. There's nothing to it. And, there, and as somebody who loves musicals, there are so many songs. I shouldn't be watching a musical movie and like a song comes on and I'm like, seriously, another one? <laughs> Can we like, just... This is what you do <laughs> in your job. I you should love this. The, the music should start and I should be like, yes, this is great. And uh, the, 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 there is... I don't think the film is badly made. No, I, I think it's a beautiful spectacle. I think, I think there are a lot of things that it, that it does well, but at the end of the day, there is no substance to it and that makes it boring. And to me, that's the most offensive thing a film can be. Maybe that maybe offensive is the wrong word, but I, I, if I sit through a film and I feel like I've wasted my time, mm. then I think that is that is worse than if I've sat there going that film was atrocious. And let me tell you why: the acting was bad, and it was shot poorly, and this scene was out of focus. Like you know that kind of thing, you can get a lot of enjoyment from bad films, but a boring film, you get nothing from except a waste of your time. So I look forward to Dear Evan Hansen coming to Australia, um, Ellis Dolan, and for you to arrive in the audition room and for them to be like, mm, Ellis Dolan, you're on that podcast. You, <laughs> you slandered our work. <laughs> Get out. <laughs> um, I, think, like, I think that it's just important to think of musicals and movie musicals as separate things. Like, Unless you are making a movie version of something that's a stage production, your audiences are different. Yeah. And like when you put out a movie like The Greatest Showman um, that you want to have mainstream appeal, you're not um, you're not writing for a musical theatre audience, you're writing for... A generic a, film audience. Like a film audience or like a mainstream audience who doesn't necessarily appreciate music theatre music. Yeah. So like it makes sense that it's more generic and more appealing to the masses. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that's to the detriment of the songwriting. Yeah. And, and I, I would say, like, if you want to do that, make your whole thing as stylistic as possible. Make it, like, this modern, cool retelling of this quite old-fashioned story, which has already been told before in the musical Barnum, which mm. I haven't seen, but I know it exists. It does. And I'm just like, that we already have that version of the story. Why not have this cool, like, hyper-stylized version? Like, I, I mentioned Moulin Rouge beforehand, which I think... This film wants so badly to be Moulin Rouge, but does none of the interesting things that Moulin mm. Rouge does. And also, at least in... Like, I am not a big fan of Barnum the musical, but at least in that, he's not portrayed so saintly. Like, yeah. he comes off as a lot more um, flawed. Yeah. Than he does in this film version, where he's played by Hugh Jackman, and you're like, oh, Hugh Jackman! <laughs> oh, he was a bit mean! To those strange people. But, but he's sorry. He's, oh, he's sorry about it. He sang a song at the end. He's so crying on the beach. Forgiven. He, he went and saw his daughters do ballet, and that's what really mattered. I just... It's... It, it frustrates me that a movie that had so much reach and that so many people loved had the opportunity to make a comment on some really important mm-hmm. social issues and passed up that opportunity. Like, the story is so ripe for commenting on, on any of these things. Like, you, you, your, your main character is deliberately seeking out disenfranchised people yeah. to capitalise off of their disenfranchisement. Yeah. And, and the movie has literally no interest in saying anything. Yeah. I, Ellis... <laughs> I hate it. Do we? I hate it. Right. Or ruin... 
the greatest showman. From a feminist perspective, I think it fails. Uh, yeah. It's it's just not it, it again. It has no interest in in the female characters. It has no interest in telling their stories. It has no interest in giving them personality traits. Yeah. And all of their interaction is in relation to how it affects the man, um, the man yeah. in the situation. And from any other perspective, like any other like social justice perspective, it is poor as well. It. In like how you should interact with vulnerable minorities, yep. how you should interact with uh, people with disabilities, how um, you should dismantle white supremacy. Yeah. <laughs> um, doesn't do well in with any of those frames. Oh, uh, one thing that we, we usually do that we didn't bring up was the uh, the queer representation in the movie. Uh, doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. Just that's, that's all we have to say about that. Isn't there. Nope. <laughs> um, it's... I think... We're gonna we're gonna ruin Greatest Showman not only from a feminist perspective, from a social justice perspective, and if you're asking Ellis, <laughs> from, a from a good movie perspective <laughs> as well. Not that that's our job. No, but Ellis had feelings. <laughs> Ellis I needed to vent. So many feelings that needed to vent. I think I think one of the biggest things to this film's detriment is like we we've discussed things in the past that haven't been terribly feminist pieces of work yeah but we've had a lot to say about them like we've had something that we could delve into and pick apart and identify and and discuss i felt like for this film there was nothing there was so nothing to pull apart Mm. i just think i i think you could have had a really good meaty film with um interesting characters that you cared about if you delved into the lives of the performers, of the circus troupe. Yeah. Like, I think that would make for a good film to see, you know, their disenfranchisement up to the point and, like, how um, their lives shifted when they were a part of this. Yeah. Or, like, how, you know, the status quo stayed the same, that they were still the victim of mm-hmm. oppression just in a different way. Like, I think that would have been a compelling story. Yeah, and we got we got none of that. And we would have actually got some social commentary out of that. Yeah. I, I think if you if you want to go and watch like a rollicking good time movie musical, go watch Moulin Rouge because like I don't think Moulin Rouge has a lot to say politically, but it it tells its story in such a wonderful dynamic way that you're just swept up in the emotion of it all and you just you can't help but have a good time. Mm. <sighs> so if what were you gonna say? I want to stop talking about this film. Okay, let's talk about how if you want to A, agree with us, B, slander us for shitting on your favourite movie, or C, just engage with us in this conversation, um, you can find us on our social media accounts. They are on Instagram. We are at Feminism Ruins Everything Pod. On Facebook, we are Feminism Ruins Everything hyphen. It's a feminist podcast. Uh, you can rate and review us on Apple iTunes uh, podcasts if you would mm-hmm. like to. Um, thank you so much to the person who just left us a review and asked us to review The Greatest yes, Showman. Yes, thank you. Uh, this... We literally took your advice. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm also not because yeah. I think it's important for us to have opinions on things even if they are popular and beloved and that doesn't negate the fact that you love them. Yeah. And I'm really glad that you do. I just do not. Yeah. And that's fine. I'm going to go listen to Sunday in the Park with George to like wash <laughs> the greatest showman 
out of my You're system. You're such a sometimes <laughs> uh, One last thing, if you want to support us on Patreon by uh, donating a monthly amount, uh, you'll get some extra cool bonus features like bloopers. Uh, you get to see the cover art early mm-hmm. as well. And um, we, we just post fun things like extra discussions and stuff that we have on there. So go yeah. to patreon.com forward slash feminism rumors everything pod. You will find us. Um, also, if you find Ellis on Tinder... <laughs> and uh, you can tell him that you like the podcast there because that's happened. Like, yeah, I, a couple. Of, <laughs> I, it's my I favorite am, thing in the world. I am on the dating apps at the moment, and um, <laughs> and a couple of people have have matched with me and said, "Hey, really enjoying the podcast." And yeah. I'm like, that's nice. Like, that's... Ellis, I know you didn't start a feminist podcast to meet women, but you know, it's just it's just a nice bonus. <laughs> Oh, oh, it's so funny to me. On that happy <laughs> note, thank you for listening, friends. We will bring you some new content next week. Take care, everybody. Feminism ruins everything. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.